Would you open God's precious holy word to Psalm 64? We've come to the 64th Psalm. I might could have titled it a little better than that. I don't know. God and verbal abuse. I can summarize it like this. God don't like it. Um, King David, the psalmist, was inundated with emotional and verbal abuse. I've told you this many times. He, he didn't know how to fight against the barrage of, of lies and innuendos that were invented to try to weaken him and harm him. He, of course, had to deal with the issue of King Saul for quite a while. Then he had to deal with the issue of his own son later on, Absalom. And all during that time, Saul had his allies. Absalom had his allies. And one of the tools of Satan is for his servants in this world to manufacture something about someone especially who is in a powerful position or a position of leadership, God's servant. Manufacture something very negative, evil, about that person and then just let it fly and see what kind of harm it can do. David pretty much faced this most of his reign as king. We live in a day today, you don't know who to believe or what to believe. You hear awful things about everybody. Um, and it comes from what should be high and important sources. Uh, and these, these things that you hear today about uh, people in, in leadership or whatever, these things that are heard today, that are spoken and heard today, often have no, have no basis in fact. It's just like, you know, let's throw it all up against the wall and see what sticks. This particular issue haunted David. It becomes apparent when you read his Psalms, the hurt, the inability to fight. It's like fighting a ghost. How do you fight secret conspiracies where they conjure up false things and throw it out just to see what damage it can do. There are people in life who feel like, and I have experienced this with people, even in the ministry, 
who feel like that the only way they have to build themselves up is to try to do something to tear the other person down. Uh, I've, I've faced that. I'm sure many, if not all of you, have faced that as well. It's a kind of verbal abuse. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's libel, it's slander, uh, would have lies, deceit, uh, all kinds of names and tags we can put on it. But here is a section of the scriptures that, that deals with it from, from David's personal experience, the psalmist. So let's look at it. First of all, in facing the, the fallacies, the, 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 uh, the lies, uh, the untruths that were told about him, he knew he needed to be protected from whatever potential uh, result could come of it. So, being a man after God's own heart, that is to say, he was in pursuit of the heart of God. The first thing, and it should be always the first thing for any of us, is prayer. In this case, David needed protection from these kinds of people. So, let's look at it. Again, I'm, I'm, my, my numbers are from the Hebrew text, and I believe the Hebrew has one additional, I think it treats the title like a verse. So my point is, I may be a verse ahead of you, but it's the same, it's the same stuff, okay? For the conductor of Song of David, hear Elohim. My voice in my anxious meditation. Elohim. So, sometimes he's Yahweh. Sometimes he's Adonai. Here he is Elohim. When you look at uh, the first of the Bible, the first in the, in the books of Moses, the first title of God is Elohim. It's a, it's a pluralic majesty of the great God, Elohim. It's to you and me, it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Elohim. The great true and living God. So this encompasses everything. Yahweh, of course, is the covenant name, and David would use that name in the 23rd Psalm, but here it's Elohim. He needs, he needs the will of the Father, the power of the Spirit, and the execution of the Son in, in this problem that he faces. And so how is he facing it? He, he, he tells us that he is voicing what he calls here an anxious meditation. The, the Hebrew word speaks, of course, of a prayer. 
but it is an urgent prayer that is just consuming him. And he is in his place of prayer and he's praying out loud, my voice. Hear Elohim, my voice in my anxious meditation. Now the timber of the, 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 the flow of the structure is that this is a regular exercise of David. This is not something that he does just because he's facing a problem. This is part of his life, prayer and meditation to supplicate before the great almighty God. Here, however, in the, in the word that is used, he puts a premium on this problem. Hear Elohim, my voice in my anxious meditation. From the fear of the enemy, you will guard my life. David's afraid. He wasn't afraid of Goliath. Nine feet, six inches tall. I don't know how David tall he was. A teenage boy, maybe under six feet. He was not an experienced warrior, but it didn't matter. Goliath was something he could see. And previous to his encounter with Goliath, by his own admission, he had encountered bears and, and jackals, the wild animals of the, the wilderness, the desert. Those, those were things he could see, and he had built his confidence over a period of time. He knew what he could do with a sling. He was a master with his sling. So to him, this was just like a bear on the shoulders of another bear. It wasn't that big of a deal to him, Goliath. Later on, he is being pursued by Saul who had the army on his side. David only had the social rejects on his side. And he was greatly outnumbered, but it was something he could see and he wasn't so afraid Sometimes he was, but by the time he would finish the psalm, he would have gained great confidence. This, but this was something he could see. Then later as king himself, he would take his forces against the forces of the enemy, even though he would be outnumbered. And, and Yahweh would say to him, the battle is yours, and he would fight it. And this is something that he could see and he wasn't afraid, but here he can't see this. I'm sure all of us have these anxious moments. We have these, uh, these moments where, maybe even in church, maybe you've heard something or you have a sensitivity about something and, and you think somebody's looking at you kind of funny. And then when they sing the last song and there's a benediction 
And that person is over here with two or three other people kind of looking at you and talking. You know, and uh, you have this, this feeling, oh, they're, they're talking about me. I don't know if I can handle this or not. We all, we all have these feelings that somebody has said something somewhere. Most of the time, probably it isn't. There's nothing to it. Unless you're the pastor. And it's, there's always something to it. If it's the but David knows what's being said, but doesn't know who is saying it, how it's being spread, and who all is listening. Who's going to believe this? Who's going to believe this garbage? So he's afraid of that enemy, the whispering, unseen enemy who can spread falsehood about the king. And that could, that could um, discourage his soldiers on the battlefield. Maybe they could lose heart if they think, if they've heard something and, and they believe that it's true. You know, David is doing this for himself. David is doing this to enrich himself. David is not doing this for you. He's doing it for himself. Or whatever could be said. Well, this would be an enemy and he didn't know what to do. He's afraid of this enemy. You're going to have to guard my life. Elohim. Guard my life against this unseen, unknown, but very dangerous enemy. Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the rebellious gathering of the workers of iniquity. So he has his enemies, doesn't know who they are. He knows who some of them are. We read in Samuel and, and the other Psalms, he knows who some of them are, but in this case, he doesn't know exactly who they are. But his counselors obviously keep telling him things. They're hearing this here and that there and when they try to trace it down, it's coming from some, from some general source, but they can't pin the source down. Secret plots, rebellious gatherings, rebels, workers of iniquity. David carries the promise of the Christ. No wonder the world is against him. He has the attention of Satan and all of the dynamics, all of the fiery arrows in the spiritual battle are aimed at David. If we can just knock this guy down. He has a covenant with God. Workers of iniquity. So what are they doing? Are they around a campfire in a battle squadron? Are they, are they sharpening Metal store? No. They're sharpening their tongues like a sword. 
Bend their bows to shoot their arrows, which their arrows are bitter words. To shoot at the innocent, the blameless, in secret. Backstabbing. They shoot at him suddenly and they have no fear. They can disappear. They can withdraw. It's like smoke. It's like a fog. They just go away. They say their bitter words. They work their deeds of iniquity through secret plotting by speech and conversation, innuendo and falsehoods and planting all these ideas in people's heads. But they have no fear because they know they can disappear. It's easy to get away with this kind of thing. So what does he do? He prays. He prays to Elohim. Watch over my life. These people, Elohim, they make me afraid. I don't know how to fight this kind of thing. Shooting their arrows at the blameless. Doing it secretly and unafraid. Then ensues the violent conspiracy. They strengthen themselves in an evil matter. They talk secretly of hiding or, or laying snares in secret. Going to let him, we're going to plant this, we're going to plant this thought in people's minds and he's going to walk right into it because we know what kind of a guy he is. You know, go back to the prophet Daniel. Well, go forward to the prophet Daniel from David's time. But from our perspective, you go back to the prophet Daniel. And the Bible tells us that he prayed three times and he prayed right toward where the temple would have been in Jerusalem from Babylon where he was. And those who hated him, he's a man of God, he's hate him. Talk the king into issuing a decree, making a law that it's illegal to pray to anybody but the God that the king declared was God, Nebuchadnezzar. He'd built that, he'd, he'd had that dream of the image, you know, and he built the thing out of gold. And the three Hebrews were thrown into the belly of the thing and the fourth man was in there with them. Make it illegal for him and anybody who prays outside of the way you have defined how they should pray, you kill them. It's a, it's a capital offense. And Daniel, they knew, they knew Daniel was going to walk right into that because Daniel was that kind of man. And of course, he was thrown into the lion's den as punishment, which wound up not working out very well. Uh, not, not Nebuchadnezzar, but the the Darius. So then they devise iniquities. Going to lay a trap for him. We have perfected a shrewd scheme. Both the inward thought and heart of man are mysterious, deep, unsearchable. Here's the point. The man of God, in this case David, 
would order his steps in the way that he knew would please God. People knew that. They could twist that up. They could twist that around. And so they devised this shrewd scheme. And here's the question for us to ponder. Who knows the inward thoughts of the heart of a man? They're too deep. Man, people can be thinking exactly opposite of what you think they're thinking. They can be totally different from the kind of person you think that person is. Only God can search those deep and unsearchable places. So this is going to be a God thing, you see. God is going to have to do what God does to people like that. Now, this is what David knows. So then here's the response of God to these verbal conspirators and the response of the righteous. So let's look at it, the final verses. Elohim will shoot at them with an arrow and they will be suddenly wounded. So he will make them stumble over their own tongue. All who see them shall flee away. All, all, all Elohim has to do is to bring this thing back on their heads. Mordecai and Haman in the book of Esther would be a case in point. My daddy raised me, telling me all along the way, if you're going to lie to me, you'd better have a real good memory. Because, you know, when I was a law enforcement officer, the first thing you did if there were two people, you put one in one interrogation room, one in the other interrogation room, and see if you get the same story. Then you swap investigators. They ask the question, same question, add them a little different, you know. Truth is a powerful thing. It just, you know, it just, it doesn't change. God knows how to bring this kind of thing back on the heads of those who are the conspirators. When other people see that the secret plots are falling apart, what happens? All who see them shall run away, flee away. And all men will fear and will declare the work of Elohim and they will wisely understand or they will prudently comprehend what God is up to. So what happens? The people are caught in their conspiracy, in their secret plots, in their lies. And it comes falling down upon their heads and now Rather than having weakened David, they have strengthened him. Because now they see what he faces and how he stood in the midst of his trials, just trusting the Lord, 
just trusting God. And all men will fear. And they will declare the work of Elohim. So then what happens? Last verse in the song. The righteous will rejoice in Yahweh. You see, this thing that was supposed to have discredited the servant of Yahweh has become something that causes rejoicing in Yahweh. Totally opposite of what the conspirators had tried to accomplish. The righteous will rejoice in Yahweh and they'll trust in him. And all upright of heart will glory in him. David carries the promise of the Christ. David wins battles against odds. David is a benevolent king. David secures the borders. David brings the people together. Unlike the, the 12 tribes, unlike they had ever been able to come together before. And David takes care of them. And in the, and in the reign of David, they become prosperous and they have peace. And the enemies of Israel will dare not attack David and his kingdom. Because all through all of the trials and intimidations and secret plots and conspiracies, all through everything in his, in his life, David would emerge as a, in, in the eyes of the people even more strongly as a servant of Yahweh. Even, even when he grievously sinned. So what does Saul do when he sins against the Lord? He goes and finds a witch. What does David do? He finds a prophet. The prophet Nathan, he told him, he said, you know, after the tryst of, of, of Bathsheba, David collapsed. You were the man. And he collapsed in his confession and repentance. The prophet said, you know, God has forgiven you of your sin, but you've given great cause for the enemies of God to rejoice and blaspheme his name. And from then on, David's focus is only on the Lord. He did not do any great thing after that. Except that he's given to us as this example of a great saint who was a great sinner and yet was a great saint knowing that regardless of what the situation was, even like this, when he could not have known the enemy or what the enemy was saying, what the enemy was doing, where the enemy was, even in a time like this, there was one thing he always knew. 
regardless of how low he seemed to be, he could always call on God, his God, because God had a covenant relationship with him. Let me tell you about the importance of a covenant relationship. If you know Christ as your Savior, you have a, you have a covenant relationship. You are of the bride of Christ. You're, you're the Father's gift to the Son. And there is a relationship that is established, a bond that exists. And the strength of that relationship is not based on your strength, not in any whit. It is completely and entirely based on the strength of the one who established the relationship and the covenant in the first place. That's the way it was with David. That's the way it is with us, thank God. In Christ. 44, 45 years in the ministry. I've had some weird things said about me. You know, and if, if you knew who it was or where it started, well, it's probably best that you don't ever know. But God has a way when you get from that point in life way down here to this point in life, you think, how in the world have I survived all of the things that I have faced emotionally, Physically, spiritually, how have I survived? By the grace of God, by the power of God. That's how we survive. So we have faith in God. It's simple. It's a simple thing. It's not, it's not complicated at all. Trust God. Believe His Word. Things go bad, call on Him and wait for Him to do something. He's always up to something. He never makes a mistake and you don't ever, you don't ever wander into a place that's unknown to God. And he has a purpose in everything. Boy, if you could just believe that, he'll get you out of it. Your faith just grows stronger and stronger as you go. That's how David was. Look how it ends up. Rejoice in Yahweh. Trust in him. Glory. And it didn't start out that way, did it? But it ends up that way. All right, we'll be through with the study in Psalm tonight and we'll have our deacon prayer time.